this morning we are looking at hope beyond the suffering. Now, when we address suffering, we often talk about suffering and evil. Now, we haven't got enough time this morning or over the next month to look at suffering and evil. But if you want to kind of investigate a little bit, one of the things that you could do is Google theodicy. And theodicy is the study of why a, a loving God allows evil to exist. A really interesting study, and we probably we might, we might even hit on that next year or something like that. But this morning we're looking at suffering, suffering from a, uh, a kind of a global perspective, but also suffering how it affects um, our lives and personally and um, the individual stuff that we that we have to walk through. A couple of books that you might like to sort of jot down that could take you a little bit further in this. One is called The Problem of Pain. And that's by C.S. Lewis. And the other is Where is God When It Hurts by Philip Yancey. There are other books that are very good, but those two are recognised as, as Christian classics. Right, there was this, it was the final week of the Police Recruit Academy. And the recruits were sitting in this room and there was a tutor there and he was taking them through a situation of what it would be like for them to face calamity or disaster and what would they do. So he puts them into this situation. He says, you're standing at a village green, Saturday morning, beautiful day, late morning, and the sun is shining, people are enjoying themselves. On the right-hand side, you've got a couple of cafes, people are having coffee, a lot of laughter, there's fun. Folk are enjoying themselves. On the left-hand side, there's a grass verge between the road and the river. And there are couples there with families having, having picnics and just really having a good time. In the village green itself, there's some young children playing frisbee, kicking a ball around. And behind you, there's others, other families or young families wheeling pushchairs along the footpath down towards where the river is. And as you're standing there, you see the two roads that come into the town that verge kind of where the village square is. There are two roads and there's two trucks coming down into the village. One seems to be a bread van, the other is a fuel tanker. It appears that the fuel tanker might be out of control. The brakes might have failed because it's veering from side to side, going very fast, not slowing down. And when, they, when you're looking at those two vehicles coming down, it's obvious they're going to collide right on the village green. And so the, the tutor says, here you are. You are the, you've just been posted into this town as the lone policeman. It's just you. You're wearing your uniform and you know that this could be a calamity. And all of a sudden, the two trucks collide. One truck, the fuel tanker goes over to the left and starts heading towards the people who are having a, a coffee at the cafe. The other truck goes towards the, the, the families having picnics. Like, what do you do? And the tutor says, what do you do? You're wearing the uniform, it's your place of authority. What do you do with, with this situation, with this disaster that's impending? And there was silence in the room. Not a word until one recruit down the back puts his hand up and he says, I'd take off my uniform and I'd mingle with the crowd. <laughs> you know, life, or our world can be a little bit like that. There can be calamity and disaster and tragedy all around us. And sometimes when we're confronted with that, we just don't know how to respond. Taking off our uniform is not an option. Or is it? See, sometimes our faith, the faith that we wear, is really challenged, isn't it? 
And if we're honest, sometimes uh, when we observe the suffering that's in the world or even when we experience suffering and anguish and grief in our own life, it seems incompatible with uh, an all-loving God. So what do we do? Do we discard our uniform of faith and just mingle with the crowd? And I guess we know of people who have done that. When the, the issues of life become so great and the suffering becomes unbearable that the first thing, to, not necessarily the first thing, but when the questions are not answered, we, it's so easy to discard our faith and just to mingle with the crowd. So how can we have a hope that we can really hold on to that will hold us firm when the most difficult things arise in our life? How can we ensure that our faith really holds us tight and that it would be enough that, that we have this covered in this faith and the God we know who loves us, that we will not abandon it or discard it when the difficult times occur. There's a, there's a passage in Romans chapter 8 that I just love that talks about this, how we deal with this and how we, do, how we grab hold of this, this hope, not just when we look at our own situation, but when we look at the, 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 the kind of cosmic or global situation as well. And it says this, Whatever we may, have, we may have to go through now is less than nothing compared with the magnificent future that God has in store for us. The whole of creation is on tiptoe to see the wonderful sight of the sons of God coming into their own. The world of creation cannot as yet see reality, not because it is so limited, yet it has been given hope. And the hope is that in the end of the whole of, at the end, the whole of created life will be rescued from the slavery and the tyranny of change and decay. Isn't that a good thing? And have, we will have a share in that magnificent liberty which can only belong to the children of God. Let's pray. Father, we come to a Sunday morning and having heard many voices during the week and even voices this morning that would uh, kind of dictate what we do, what we, how we act and how we respond. We've had lots of voices that would tell us how to live and the things that we should operate in and how we should talk to people and, Lord, how we should treat the pain and the anguish even in our own lives. And so, Lord, I, I ask this morning that you would speak to us and that would be, we would be attentive to your voice. It may be a small voice on our shoulder whispering in our ear. It might be a shout that says, move this way, do that. But, Lord, we, we ask that indeed you would speak to us and that we would have ears that would listen and bodies and wills that would want to do what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name. I don't know about you, but I, we, we find at home that human suffering is, seems to be the, the major item on the TV news at night. Isn't that right? Atrocities in Syria where innocent children are gassed, you know. Flooding in Bangladesh where hundreds are drowned because there's too much water. And at the same time, in East Africa, many people starve because there's not enough water. 
And then in Afghanistan, a, a, a suicide bomber kills dozens at a, at a wedding. And a, a tsunami in uh, Indonesia or a mudslide in Colombia that devours whole villages, you know. And then we hear that another innocent black youth is shot by a policeman in, in the States. Or the young girls in Thailand are enticed from their families and sold into sex slavery. And then in our own safe country, 50 people are gunned down in their place of worship. And then just recently, the last few days, a hurricane in the Bahamas that kills scores of people. And so for centuries, people from all walks of life have been asking questions about human suffering. Where is God in all this? Is this world the way it's supposed to be? Why can't God do something about it? Why can't he stop the plane falling out of the sky? Why can't he just stop the gun from, from firing? Why can't he cause it to jam? And we can ask a lot of questions about life. Sometimes the questions we ask are kind of, those sort of questions are distant, but then they can be closer to home. The six-month-old baby who's diagnosed with a terminal disease, or the young dad who's, who's on his way home from work, uh, wanting to spend some time with his family, with the kids before they go to bed. He's cool because a drunk driver crosses the centre line. Or the the young man who's got some deep-seated anger problems is so obsessed with his gaming machine, he gets infuriated with the young baby crying that he picks her up and throws her across the room. And so we can ask a lot of questions about life, but the, the, the questions, the why questions that are loudest are when we are faced with this terrible human suffering. Senseless violence, and sometimes there is this, this kind of underlying evil. And it can affect us personally too, can't it? Like when we lose our, our job at 55 years of age, how do we get another job? Or maybe a, a relationship ends, for, you know, something, our marriage falls apart. Or perhaps a, a friend that we know commits suicide. Or maybe... Um, what are some of the other things? Maybe we've got a debilitating illness. Or perhaps we, we slide into that deep abyss of depression. Or like I was talking to Brian before, even the loss of a limb. It's all part of the grief that we can carry and, and wear and, and, we just, and we ask questions. And God, can you, can you put this world back together? And can you put my life back together that's hurting and, and, and anguish? How do we deal with that? Then there is the, sometimes it's, I don't know about you, but I find that life can be really unfair. There can be such extreme injustice. The young mum who's got two kids under five, diagnosed with cancer, got two months to live, and the family pull all their money together and some to get some more money to buy, to buy drugs and medication that's going to extend her life for a few months. And yet in the next street is a drug dealer who's never done an honest day's work in his life you know, and he's, he's um, causing havoc and, and destruction in his community, living extravagantly off the proceeds and probably to a, a ripe old age. So, God, you know, we ask questions like, where's the fairness in that? 
Life at times can seem so unjust. And we ask questions like, why do bad things happen to good people? And we could also ask, why does it seem that sometimes good things happen to bad people? Isn't that right? So whatever the cause, whatever, whatever causes, or whether it's kind of just situations, circumstance, it's the lack of the drawer, it's the way the cookie crumbles, we often tend to blame God, don't we? God often gets a blame. In fact, we use the phrase acts of God, don't we? Or um, what I find amusing is that some of the people who blame God don't even believe he exists. You know, and then, then we, can, we can also blame our upbringing or blame, blame our environment. You know, like if your mother didn't stop you pushing the food off the high chair when you were a kid, how do you know when you're older that it's wrong to push a person off a cliff? So that's, that's kind of the, that's a question. That's part one. That's kind of part one. of I'm, I'm checking that stuff out there. Okay. Right. What do we do with this? Let's just dig a little bit deeper. A few, a few years ago, I was with a group of people and we did this exercise. We created this world. Not geography, not countries, not, you know, it wasn't about land, it wasn't about that sort of stuff. It was people. We created inhabitants. And we had to work out how these people that we had created were going to live. How were they going to respond to each other? How were they going to respond to us who had made them down there? And then were we going to give them laws? Were we going to have any ongoing influence in their lives? If we had given them laws and they didn't obey the laws, what would we do? Would we intervene? What sort of coercion would we, would we have on the people that we had made? What sort of, would we have any control over them? And if we didn't give them laws, how would they know what's right or wrong? Oh, would that matter? Would there matter if there's no right or wrong? And how would they live together? So in that, as we asked these questions, as we did this little exercise, from a very limited human perspective, we began to understand the dilemma that God would have had in trying to put this world together. So the first slide we need to look at, the first answer, I guess, the problem of two principles. Much of the suffering in this world is the result of two principles that God has built into creation. Two principles that God has built into creation. Firstly, a physical world that runs according to consistent natural laws. And then human free will. Now, by committing himself to these two laws, or two principles, they are good in themselves. There's nothing wrong with constant, consistent physical laws and nothing wrong with free will. But committing himself to these two principles, God opened the door or he almost allowed the possibility of their abuse. Now, for example, gravity is a good thing, right? We've got to admit, because we're all sitting down, gravity's holding us on our seats. Gravity stops us floating around. Now, gravity is a good thing because it means that when you did push your food off the high chair when you were a kid, your mother only had to clean the floor. 
If there was no gravity, she would be cleaning food off the walls and the ceiling and it would be floating around the house till next Tuesday. So gravity is a good thing. However, if you are working on the roof of a house and you fall, God doesn't automatically create a gravity-free day. Gravity means that you hit the deck. It also means that if you are angry with someone, you can push them off a cliff. Right, the two law, there's the two principles. Okay, Same with water. Water is a good thing. We need water. We need it to drink. We live with water. It's, it's necessary for us. And we enjoy swimming in water. But if you try and breathe underwater, you do damage to your lungs. And once again, if you don't like somebody, you can hold your, their head underwater. And so the same with a piece of wood. We need, we need timber. We need wood. We build houses out of wood, don't we? And we, we use wood to light a fire to keep warm. But the same piece of wood can be used to hit someone on the head. Now, God doesn't change the molecular structure of the piece of wood when you go to hit someone on the head to make it into a sponge. No, it stays a piece of wood. So when, when God puts these principles in, in motion along you know, the, the, the free will and the consistent natural laws, we, our, if, if, our mis, if, our will, if our freedom is misguided, we can actually cause suffering and, and evil to come from the misuse or the abuse of those physical laws. Understand? You're with me at the moment? Yep, okay. So people have a free choice. We, we all have a free choice. God, is, God has given us the freedom to choose. We're not robots. We are not, we are not uh, manipulated like poets, uh, poets like puppets. <laughs> poets. That's a good one, yeah. Can you manipulate a poet? Maybe you can. God hasn't got angels sitting on the balcony of heaven with controls determining our every move. We've got, we've got a, a free will. Now, if we've got a free will, love, love is, we have a freedom to, be, to, to choose to obey. We also have a freedom to, to love. Now, the choice or the freedom to choose to love is the highest ethic. We have a freedom to choose to love each other. We have a freedom to choose to love God. That is the highest ethic. The for, if we were forced to love, some people would say that it would be equivalent to rape. God has given us a freedom of choice. So back to the question I asked earlier, and that is, is this world all it's supposed to be? Now the resounding answer, of course, is no. Number two, this is not the world it's supposed to be. Let's illustrate that by, by saying that God has written this perfect play. Okay? He's written a play, planned, it's perfectly created. But out of necessity, God has left the expression of his play to human uh, stage managers and actors. And because of their interpretation and performance of this perfect play, they have stuffed it up. They've made a mess of it. 
We've all heard of the term the fall. We've all heard that the fall is talked about in Genesis chapter 3. And the fall really is a term that's used to define the corruption and the, uh, the disruption that, and the sin that entered or that occurred in this world when, when evil entered this place. And that, and that was when, I guess, the, if you like, the, the, human, the, the, the human or the below perfect, the under perfect stage managers and actors tampered with this play that God had created, tampered with it so much because they thought that their interpretation was better than the God who created it. And now we have this imperfect play. Now, if we've fallen, we must have fallen from somewhere. If this world is disrupted, it's, it's, it's been disturbed, whatever, we've fallen from somewhere. And the fall from somewhere is the perfect world, is, is what... Gina spoke about a few weeks ago was Shalom. And Shalom is this place that, that of, of intense wholeness and delight in every area of, lo- of life. No wrongdoing, no evil. In fact, the, the Bible begins with paradise and ends with paradise. Shalom. And we, if you like, are here, as, as, and this world is not as it should be. We are here as part of the, the actors in the middle of this imperfect play that has been distorted and disrupted from the perfection that God actually had in mind when he put it together. You with me there? So we're in a disordered and a broken and a suffering world. A world that's in pain. And pain will always tell us that something is wrong. Isn't that right? You put your hand on a hot plate and it doesn't take long to tell you that there's something wrong with what you're doing. You remove your hand in a hurry. And the pain of this world tells us that something is wrong. All right, let's move on to number three because we're going to look at an answer to this number two later on. But look at number three. First, where are we? We need to learn to live with mystery. You know, the older I get, the less I know. And the more I know, the the, the more I know, the the more questions I ask, the less I know. And I find even as a Christian, the the more I study, the the more I pray, the more I learn about God, the less I know about him. And what I have discovered, though, is that the more I want to know of the why questions of life, the more I do not find out. And yet I'm comfortable in the mystery. That is one of the most um, settling positions to be in in our Christian walk, is to be comfortable in the mystery. Now, God... God will not show us every look. You know, you know the story of Job, don't you? Where for thirty what thirty five, thirty seven chapters, he's asking God about his problems and the why of life, and his friends are encouraging him, and they're asking questions as well. And God comes in in chapter thirty eight and says, "I ask the questions. Where were you when the earth was being formed? You know, so." The questions are not the issue. It's not the pursuit of the answers that are the issue. Now, that doesn't mean that you, it doesn't mean that I or you don't 
We don't kiss our brains goodbye. We investigate, we explore, but we never explore the, the, the infinite realms of, of God's dealings and his doings and his mind. But what God is interested in is not giving us the answers, but in us pursuing him and seeking him and finding him. And, and even in the depths of the, the darkest places, Psalm 84, I was just looking at it before when Pete was speaking. I was still concentrating, Pete, but I was looking at Psalm 84 as well. But Psalm 84 talks about the valley of Bekar or the, the valley of weeping or suffering or sorrow and how when the pilgrims walk through the valley of Bekar, they actually find a spring. It's beyond the suffering, they find a spring. In the mystery of the suffering and of the pain of the anguish, they find a spring. And then I think one of the beauties in that passage is that they'd leave the spring for the pilgrims that follow behind as well. Isn't that a good thing? When Viv and I lost Jared, we, we asked lots of questions. And I don't think any of the answers would have helped us. You know, I, I really don't. I mean, having the answers doesn't take the pain away. Blaming God doesn't take the pain, pain away. Removing God out of the equation doesn't take the pain away. But we asked lots of questions because there was a jungle gym and it had pipes on it that were, were, were legally too big for a school playground pipes and he fell off. But at the end of the day, he'd fallen out of trees with branches bigger than that anyway. Why didn't they send a, heli a chopper to pick him up rather than an ambulance? We asked all those sort of questions. And we had, we had some fine, you know, well-meaning Christian friends who gave us some, basically some crazy answers. The best answers that we had were Pete and Kerry. They came and sat with us every night for weeks and weeks. Didn't ask any questions. Just sat there, just were there. But I encourage you, when someone's going through pain and anguish and sorrow, don't bother trying to give an answer, because God won't. But be there when someone needs you. God often, in this time, asks us to do something. He asks us to... To, to live something out. And there are several passages in, in the New Testament that talk about what we're to do when pain and sorrow and trials hit our life. I, I love the one in James. And James says, when trials enter your life or knock on your door, welcome. don't treat them as intruders. Welcome them in. <laughs> now, we don't do that. We kind of look through the people and say, oh, there's trials there. And we, we lock the door put furniture against it. We yell, Jesus, I got the front door, you get the back door. You know, we don't want to let them in at all, you know. And yet James is saying, if if they're in, don't treat them as intruders, treat them as friends. Welcome them in, open the door, would you like a cup of tea, biscuit, you know? And so they're there for a reason, to teach us and to draw us even closer to the one, even in the middle of mystery. Perseverance and and pushing through on stuff and, and just being able to, I think Romans, uh, Romans 5 and 1 Peter 1 also talk about what we should do. And the answer is that we, we Romans 5 was we celebrate when we're confronted with difficulties and sorrow and trials. I, was asked, I went through a period of really asking some pretty major questions as well. 
And I remember travelling through the Wairapa one day, we were going to a job, and I was just asking the why questions, and God, how long do I have to persevere for? And I came across this mob of sheep, very big mob, but, and I was going the same way as the sheep. You know when you come across a mob of sheep, if you're going the opposite way, it doesn't take long to get through, you know. But when you're going the same way, it takes hours to get through because you're travelling the same way, come halfway through. And there was this farmer there, standing beside his quad bike. I had my window down, it was a warm day. And all he said was, just keep pushing through. I tell you what, I never knew that God could be dressed in dirty overalls, a frayed hat and red band and gumboots. You know, you know, and that was God speaking. I, I, I mean, I haven't heard God speaking a lot audibly, but that came from a farmer. He's probably still over there if you want to go and see him someday. <laughs> All right. God often asks us to do something. All right, mystery is so much easier to deal with. Mystery is so much easier to handle when we know that our future is grounded in a promise. Okay? Number four. This is not the way it will be. The future promise is on several levels. Lots of levels. There's a promise. We're gonna, we know we're going to get a new body. Who thinks they need a new body? Right. Who thinks the person next to them needs it? No, don't go there. <laughs> Who thinks the preacher? Who thinks the preacher needs a new body? Look, I can't wait to be half the man I used to be. Um, okay, on a cosmic level, there's going to be a new world. Revelation 21 says that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth because the old earth has passed away. Now, we don't know how this earth is going to, well, this world. I, I, I get frustrated with this, this stuff at the moment about save the planet. I really do. The planet's had enough thrown it over the sea. It can take care of itself. The planet's big enough and it's had ice ages and everything else. The planet will be fine. It's how we live on it that's going to be the problem. I don't, we don't know how this world's going to finish. Is it going to be a, is it going to be global warming? Is it going to be an asteroid hitting us? Or is it going to be the, the two world leaders with the worst haircuts starting a, <laughs> starting a nuclear war, you know? And is, whole, is the whole of life, is the whole of life going to be destroyed except, except Keith Richards? Because he looks at, you've seen Keith Richards, eh? I mean, all the young people are saying, who's Keith Richards? <laughs> the old people are saying, don't mention his name in church. <laughs> Keith Richards is the lead guitarist from the Rolling Stones. But, and he looks like he's been through the biggest disasters, you know. So, <laughs> so the whole world is destroyed except Keith Richards. Okay, anyway, how did I get there? I oh, need to go back. All right. Interesting, what's that? <laughs> Interesting, when, the, when, the, when our culture uses the word apocalypse and Hollywood portray it like this, it's a good world that's been destroyed. When the Bible uses the phrase apocalypse and the book of Revelation is often referred to as the Apocalypse of John. When the Bible uses that phrase, it's a corrupted world that's been restored. And we've got a new world coming, a new world that's coming. Can I read uh, just some of those passages again from Romans chapter 8? 
Whatever we may have to go through now is less than nothing compared with the magnificent future that God has in store for us. The whole of creation is on tiptoe. Got that? That's a great picture. Have you ever taken your kids or your grandkids to the, I don't know, to the Santa Claus parade and, you know, they're on tiptoe trying to peer out through the crowd and, or, or they're wanting to get on your shoulder to, because all they want to see is, is Father Christmas, you know. And whole of creation is on tiptoe to see the wonderful sight of the sons of God coming into their own. The world of creation cannot as yet see reality, but because it chooses to be blind. And then at the end it says, in the end, the whole of created life will be rescued from its slavery and from the change and decay. Genesis 1.28, where Adam is given the, the rights to have control and dominion over the earth. Now, of course, we understand that later on, Adam sinned. Now, Adam sinned, but because of Adam's sin, creation suffered. Now, creation, all of creation, not just, not just humans, but an animate and inanimate creation, is waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. When Adam sinned, when Adam, when Adam was given the, the mandate to rule and control, he, had, he was created in God's image. And he was to carry God's image and reflect God's character in all aspects of his life, in all aspects of his rule. And of course, now we have a world that's being ruled by people, by men and women, by creation, created beings, who, ha- who are fallen beings. And so the world is suffering. Our, our, our globe is suffering because the mandate remains, but those who have the mandate are fallen. Do you understand that? Now, I'm not into tree-hugging, but I just wonder. I, I'm throwing this out. This is, this is not gospel, so, you know. I wonder if somewhere like the Cambodian killing fields, whether the ground that those one and a, one and a half, two million people were killed on, tragically killed, whether that ground carries some weight because of the abuse of, of the fallen actors and stage managers with this beautiful play, but it has been abused and misinterpreted. I digress again, I'm sorry. The whole of creation will be rescued from this tyranny of decay and change. In other words, our deliverance, when, we become, when the sons of God are delivered, our deliverance will mean creation's deliverance. Okay. Right, another level. Well, in fact, just on that, as followers of Jesus, we should be more green than the greens. We should care about the Amazonian forest fires. We should care about rising sea levels and how it affects Kiribati or the people of Petoni. We should care about that. We should care about the... the well, I could go on, we care about lots of things, but we should care about one day, one, whatever happens, one day, one day we know that the lion will lie down with the lamb. Right, on a personal level, Revelation 21 again says this. It says, God will wipe away every tear. There will be no more death, there will be no more mourning, there will be no more sorrow, there will be no more crying. He will wipe away 
every tear. You know, everything that is wrong with this world, the disasters, the calamities, the pain, the anguish, the sorrow, the abandonment, whatever it is, is all covered in this, in this kind of language, this universal language of tears, of crying. And it says that this God personally will come and wipe away our tears. I don't know about you, but there is, I don't think there is anything, any gesture that is more loving and more intimate than the wiping of someone's tears. Have you done that? And the God of this universe is going to come and wipe our tears. Your tears, my tears. The word that's used for wipe, the Greek word that's used for wipe is the same word that is used for anoint. Interesting, hey? So God doesn't just get a hanky or a, or, a, or, a, um, or a cloth and wipe our tears, but he actually soothes and he heals, he anoints at the same time. Just in closing... And I am coming to an end. All right. As we wrap this up, I want to read you a story that some of you may have seen on the net. I think it's been attributed to Henry Nowen. It's a story of two babies. In a mother's womb, there were two babies. One asked the other, do you believe in life after delivery? The other replied, why, of course, there has to be something after delivery. Maybe we are here to prepare ourselves for what will be later. Nonsense, said the first. There is no life after delivery. What kind of life would that be? And the second said, I don't know, but there will be more light than there is here. Maybe we will walk with our legs and eat with our mouths. Maybe we will have other senses that we can understand now. The first replied, that's absurd. Walking is impossible and eating with our mouths ridiculous. The umbilical cord supplies nutrition and everything we need, but the umbilical cord, I know, is short. Life after delivery is logically excluded. The second insisted, well, I think there is something, and maybe it's different than it is here. Maybe we won't need this physical cord anymore. And the first replied, nonsense. And moreover, if there is life, then why has no one ever come back from there? Delivery has to be the end of life. And in the after-delivery, there is nothing but darkness and silence and oblivion. It takes us nowhere. Well, I don't know, said the second, but certainly we will meet Mother and she will take care of us. And the first replied, Mother? You actually believe in Mother? That's laughable. If Mother exists, then where is she now? And the second said, well, she's all around us. We are surrounded by her. We are of her. It is in her that we live. Without her, this world would not and could not exist. And said the first, well, I don't see her, so it's only logical that she doesn't exist. To which the second replied, sometimes when you're in silence and you focus and you really listen, you can perceive her presence and you can hear her loving voice calling from above. Shall we pray?
God, we pray before that you would speak to us. And we know that in faith that has happened, that you've talked to us. And amongst the voices that we do hear that of sometimes overcrowd us, we know that you've spoken to us. And Lord, sometimes that's a small voice that convinces us that you are there, that you love us, that you care for us, that in spite of our pain, in spite of our anguish, you are there. In spite of our, the mystery, in spite of not knowing, you are there and you love us. And Lord, that you desperately want to walk with us and journey through us with life itself. And Lord, that you promise to wipe away our tears, promise to give us a new world and that we're not to be fearful of the future because you've got it under control. So Lord, we thank you for speaking to us and we pray that just as we wrap this up, that God, you would move in people's lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe... Maybe those of you here this morning who have, um, who are walking through some 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 difficult stuff, and you'd like like to have some prayer and like um, like someone to perhaps lay hands on you and walk with you and just to just to encourage you and what you're going through. You might like to just maybe come down the front afterwards, and we'd love to pray with you. Or perhaps if you're not a you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, you've never made that first step. Perhaps this morning you want to do that and God has been speaking to you and saying, hey, listen, you need to start the journey with me. If that's where you're at, I'm asking you to come down the front afterwards as well and we can pray with you and talk with you. You may want to bring the person who brought you this morning and just someone to support and encourage you. But we would, we would love to pray with you and love to just share with you the good news and if someone needs prayer, please respond. And um, we just ask that the power of God, the goodness of God would rest over your life. Amen. Thank you, Trevor. So good, isn't it? So good. Thank you, my brother. Appreciate that and where your heart is and what you bring. Just wonderful. Look, don't, don't pass that opportunity by that Trevor has just put out there. That if, uh, if something has been tugging at your heart this morning as he's spoken and you haven't really, you've never really stepped in that relationship with Jesus, can I just reiterate that this is a great place and a great time to do something about it. Don't let today go by without nailing your colors to the mast and say, I want to follow that person that, uh, that uh, Trevor's been talking about. I just don't want to know about it in my head. I want to experience it in my heart. I want it to drop 18 inches to where it really matters and really, really can make a difference in my life. I encourage you to take up Trevor's offer this morning and do something about it today. Uh, it's been a great morning, hasn't it? It's been a fantastic morning.